It is so important. It is so important that we have possibility models, individuals for whom we can model their mindset. I've always told you guys, we don't need to model what they do because we might be at different stages, but we do need to model what they believe and what they think. So if you are a place in your life where you're trying to do something that you've never personally seen done before, maybe by somebody who looks like you or by somebody who's in a circumstance that you in, like you you know people start businesses, but maybe you've never seen a, a Black woman in her 60s start a business or you know what I mean? Like, what do you need to see in order for you to believe that it's possible for you? And where can you go to get that possibility model? But the second part of this lesson is this. How can you become a possibility model, right? We need to have possibility models, but depending on what you want to accomplish in life, it is also important for you to become a possibility model for somebody. Just because someone can live with a disease doesn't mean they should. The overwhelming majority of prescriptions written today are written to treat lifestyle disease. Lifestyle disease is defined as conditions which can be attributed to the way in which a person lives. This includes things like physical activity, drinking, smoking, stress, the quality of our social connections, sleep, purposeful and professional alignment, and of course, our diet. But what if there was an alternative? What if before putting pen to pad, we had a comprehensive solution in lieu of pills and procedures. You are listening to the Plant Protocol Podcast for current and aspiring health professionals who are done with simply managing chronic lifestyle challenges and are interested in taking a whole food plant-based approach to combating them. I'm your host, Lisa A. Smith. It's time to come get this health. Hey, hey, podcast listeners, welcome back to the Plant Protocol Podcast. I'm Lisa A. Smith, your host, and this is a very special episode because this is our one-year anniversary episode. We launched the Plant Protocol Podcast on December 18, 2022, and so this is officially our one-year episode. And my mission with this episode is to do two major things. The first is to say thank you. And the second is to share with you four major lessons that really resonated with me in the past year, in 2023. So I'm excited to get into it. Now, if you just happen to be coming in for the first time here into the Plant Protocol Podcast, if this is your first episode, I am Lisa A. Smith. I have three signature programs. I am a health and business coach. My first program is Farm to Table, which I've been facilitating since 2016, y'all. And Farm to Table is a plant-based coaching program designed for individuals with chronic lifestyle disease who we work very closely with to take their health from a liability to an asset so that they can leverage their gifts and live a life of radical obedience. So our mission is not just to make a world of vegans and people who are plant-based. That's cool. But our mission is to take people out of a state of discomfort and unfulfillment and really position them so that they are healthy enough to execute on their assignment. And then my second program is where I'm your coach's coach. I am the founder of the Plant Protocol Plant-Based Coaching Certification, where I help other vegans package their passion into a specialized health coaching business. And finally, I am the founder of Clarity the Mastermind for women of color who are combating 
imposter syndrome and need the courage and confidence and faith to show up on assignment and live a life of radical obedience. So that's what I do full time. I just coach people full time, whether it's in their health, whether it's in their business, whether it's in their mindset. That's what I do. I am a coach and I absolutely love it. But enough about me. Listen, let's get into it. I am so, so, so grateful for you guys tuning in for this past year, whether you've been around here for two minutes or many months, and whether you've been here since the conception of the Plant Protocol podcast or even before that, I just want to say thank you. I've been podcasting for many years, many, many years, but the Plant Protocol podcast is my most recent podcast. And I want to start off, I was looking at the numbers, y'all. So I was talking to my podcast editor and we were having a conversation just about how the podcast has been doing in this past year. And I want to share with you guys, you know, some of what we discovered. And I just want to personally take a moment to say thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who have been listening, to all of you who have been downloading, all of you who have been commenting and sharing your thoughts and leaving reviews and messaging me privately. Like, I want to say thank you because it really makes it worthwhile to keep going, to keep showing up to keep coming here and sharing my thoughts and my perspective around business, around health, around life with you guys. So thank you, thank you, thank you. So over the past year, we've had over just approaching 6,500 downloads total, and we're averaging about 117 downloads per episode. Now, I personally thought this was really, really low. However, what my podcast editor shared with me, and this is why it's so important to have people in your life who are experts in what they do, so you don't just draw your own conclusions, okay? First tip of the day. But what she shared with me is that, you know, there are literally a ton of podcasts out here. And she said the vast majority of them rarely get 100 downloads per episode. She said it's very, very low average downloads per episode based on her expertise and working in the podcasting business. And so she told me that averaging over 100 downloads per episode is really, really good in comparison to how many downloads, how many podcasts, excuse me, are in the marketplace on average, how many listeners they have. Now, of course, right, I believe in comparing myself to the best. And so I'm looking at major podcasts, which of course are getting thousands of listens and downloads, of course, but she was just telling me that based on how long the Plant Protocol podcast has been around, how long I've been doing this, that this is actually something to be really, really proud of. And so I said, okay, so let me reconfigure my expectations, right? That's one of the things I have to tell my clients and my coaches all the time when they're like, I should be further ahead. These numbers should be better, right? And so she had to put it into perspective for me. And so I had to reconfigure my personal expectations about how well we should be doing. She's reassured me, like re- had to reassure me that this is really, really, really good. So I am therefore super proud and thankful for those of you who have made it possible for us to be above average when it comes to podcast listens and downloads. So I really, really thank you for that. And then I also want to thank the 13 of you guys who have left a Uh, rating for the podcast. So 100% of our ratings are five stars. Come on now, y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Like I couldn't believe it. It's not like, oh, we're 4.9, 4.8. No. On Spotify and on Apple Podcasts, which is the only two places that so far we've been able to find where you guys have left reviews or can leave reviews. 
They are all five stars. So thank you. Those of you who took the time to rate the podcast. And of course, you know, those of you who have taken the time to leave a review, those of you guys who, you know, just are going out of your way to show love. I want to say thank you. This past year has been amazing. I personally love podcasting. I believe, you know, speaking and communication is one of my gifts. So it's a natural medium for me to use. But of course, it doesn't matter how good you are. We still all need those metrics that shows us and tells us that people are listening, that people are tuned in, that people want to hear what we have to say. And you guys have done just that for me in the past year since we launched on December 18th, 2022. And so I just wanted to take the time to read one of the reviews that was left on Apple Podcasts, actually, because I'm really, really proud of it. I was like, oh, and I didn't even know, guys, like that this review was on here. And I was like, oh, shucks. Um, I had never read it. I didn't even know because I don't know if we get notifications, but I personally don't get notifications when someone leaves a rating or a review. So I literally have just read this for the first time today. (laughs) So I'm still in my feelings about it. But someone left a review on September 12th of this year. And the heading is from a vegan health coach with zero clients. (laughs) And the review says, Lisa drops so much real world wisdom in these podcasts. She breaks down concepts in such a way that what seemed impossible starts sounding very possible. I was a vegan health coach with business cards, a website, an Instagram account, and zero clients. What I've learned through her podcast is that I need to be confident of my plant-based journey, brave enough to put my own story out there, and diligent in sharing my perspective. I'm so glad I didn't jump too fast to any other plant-based coaching certifications and held out long enough for the Plant Protocol podcast to show up in my feed. The Plant Protocol is hands down the best coaching program if you're serious about getting into vegan health coaching. Wow, wow, wow. Shout out to you, reviewer. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you. I really, really appreciate that. I am super passionate about plant-based living, super passionate about plant-based health coaching, and super passionate about entrepreneurship and the coaching industry and coaching business. So I'm so happy to read that it's coming through from you guys and that passion and that love for this work is resonating with you. So I just wanted to say thank you. And then also thank you to the people who have sent me DMs like on Instagram and with a screenshot of one of my episodes saying, this episode just hit for me. Um, You guys have told me about, I'm listening to it again, taking notes. And you guys have just sent me amazing messages about the episodes and how they've been resonating with you. And I just want to say thank you because I really, really appreciate it. And of course, I plan on keep going because we don't do anything small here. We are consistent and we do things with a spirit of excellence always. So that is how I wanted to start this episode with immense gratitude and saying thank you. Next, I want to get into the four major, major lessons that resonated with me this year in 2023, which I think will be extremely beneficial For many of you guys to hear, those of you who are maybe still on the fence about starting your own health coaching business, those of you who are maybe in the full swing of things but have moments where you get discouraged or you feel fear and you're not sure about whether you can keep going, whether you're qualified to keep going, whether you should keep going, not sure about whether or not all the effort you're putting in is going to produce fruit. Like I know our mind plays mad, crazy tricks on us. And so, I just wanted to share with you guys some lessons that I thought were really good that really hit for me this year 
and hopefully they do the same for you. Let's get into it, okay? Cue a musical transition. (laughs) Okay, so four major lessons that resonated with me this year. The first is I discovered or learned about, I didn't discover, but I learned about this law called Parkinson's Law. Shout out to y'all that have heard of this before. But Parkinson's Law is very simple. And Parkinson's Law states that work will expand to fill the time allotted for its completion. I'm going to say it again. Parkinson's Law is this idea that work expands to fill the time allotted for its completion. So essentially what that means is that however much time you give something to get done, it's the amount of time you're going to take to get it done. And I was like, oh, that's good. Because if you give yourself two weeks to get a project done, to get a thing done, it's going to take two weeks. But if you give yourself two days to get that exact same project and that exact same task done, it's going to take two days. Like I remember recently there was something I was applying for. There was an abstract that I had to submit for an opportunity. And the deadline was approaching really fast. Like from the time that I discovered the opportunity to the deadline to submit for the opportunity that was really close. And I remember already having a crap ton of stuff (laughs) on my plate to do that week. However, some kind of way, because I really wanted to put my hat in the running for this opportunity, some kind of way, despite everything I already had to do and had going on, I found time to get this abstract completed and submitted and update. I was accepted. Okay. So, hey, I got actually got landed the opportunity. But it's so crazy that if I had discovered this opportunity, let's say months ago when it was first released, you know, I probably would have given myself months to get it done. I would have been like, oh, the deadline is into November 11th. So, you know, I'll put this on my to-do list for early November or whatever, right? But because I discovered it later, and the reason I discovered it later is because the person who sent me the opportunity, when they sent me the email, it went to my spam. So the opportunity was sitting in my email but it had landed in my spam box. And so by the time I found it in my spam box, the deadline was really close. But it's something that I really wanted. This person highly recommended me for it. Like, I really think you should do this. I think you would be good for this. And so I was like, say less, right? I I want the opportunity as well. I think it will be good as well. And so despite everything that I had going on, I was able to find time to execute and complete this abstract and get it in. And so when I learned about Parkinson's Law, it really resonated with me that work truly will expand to fill the time that you allot for its completion. So what I want to encourage through this first lesson is that if you have a lot of things on your plate and you're sometimes struggling with what to prioritize and maybe part of the issue could be that there are no deadlines or that you're giving actually yourself too much time, too much of a runway to get some of these things down. And you could really, really shorten your to-do list and shorten or lessen, should I say, the burden on yourself by instead of giving yourself more time to get stuff done, give yourself less time to get stuff done, right? That's what I would recommend because whatever amount of time you give it to get it done is the amount of time you're going to take. 
and start ordering things in order of importance. Like what is the one thing that you could do now that you could prioritize now that when it's completed, its completion will positively impact the other things that need to get done, right? What on your to-do list carries the heaviest burden and maybe shorten the time that you have to get that done. And for some of us, you know, that's going to require probably a higher level of accountability. You might have to create some other type of things, some other type of circumstance that forces you to create a real deadline. Because I'm not saying you should just say, okay, self, instead of giving myself to the end of the year to get this done, I'm going to give myself to the end of next week to get this done. Some of us can say that and really adhere to it. But if there's nothing really on the line, for you to get it done by the end of the next week. What many of you will do is just keep pushing that deadline back and out, right? So how can you create something that forces you? Like how can you create a situation where somebody or something is relying on you to get it done by the end of next week now, right? So that's what I would encourage you to do. Let's stop expanding the time that we're giving ourselves to do things that are really important to us because all we're gonna do is fill up that time with space. Okay, so that was the first lesson that I learned this year. Now, let me give you one more example because this is super cool. I don't know why I'm always giving extra examples. It looks like, Lisa, we got it, but I just love examples. So some of you guys know that I'm currently writing a book and the working title of my book is Clarity, the Roadmap to a Life Lived of Radical Obedience. And I recently reached out to an editor because I wanted to know what exactly does an editor do? What's the role of an editor? There was some stuff that I want done in the book and I don't know whether or not an editor is someone who would do that. And so I reached out to an editor just to have a meeting to get more information about this book writing process, right? And she answered my question. She told me what I needed to know and she she does what I need need her to do. But then she said, but I'm booked up through, (laughs) all the way through the winter 2024 and I don't have any, openings for new clients until spring 2024. And I was like, perfect, because I was fully ready to give myself the entire year of 2024 to complete the book because I had just started the book over again in November. That's a different story for a different day. I'll tell y'all later. But I just started my book over again in November 2024. So I was already like, Lisa, give yourself at least a year to write the book, blah, blah, blah. But when she said she has openings for new clients coming up in the spring, what did I do? I moved that deadline all the way up. Because if I would have gave myself a year to write a book, what would have happened? I would have took a year to write the book. But she's like, I got openings in 2024. And then she really put some extra sauce on it for me. Because I asked her, I said, at what point in the book writing process should I be seeking an editor? I was like, should the book be completely done and then I give it over to editing? Or can I give it like a little at a time and have somebody kind of working in tandem with me and editing as we go? And she said, you can do that. I can edit as you go. You give me, you know, chapters or sections as they're completed. She's like, but what I like is when authors give me the entire completed first draft, completely done so I can just get my hands on it and do my thing and edit from that perspective. And so I was like, say less. So y'all, I got a new goal. Like my book is not going to be completed at the end of 2024. It's going to be completed by spring of 2024. So I can give her the complete first draft. So listen, Parkinson's law, work will expand to feel the time that you give it. But in that instance, the good news is that I have someone that I've committed to And what I even might do now that I'm thinking about is reach out to her and offer to like pay a deposit or pay something and put some money on the line too 
ahead of time to secure my spring spot. But I employed someone into this process of setting a new deadline who has told me like that this is when I can get to you. You know, this is when there will be openings. Because if I wait, who knows that when I'm ready, whether or not she'll be have openings then. And maybe I might have to wait longer. So I just love the fact that, you know, unbeknownst to her, she was giving me a deadline, right? And so that's Parkinson's law. Okay, that's my first major lesson for 2023. The second major lesson from 2023 actually comes from a film that I watched this year. So I don't know if you guys have heard of the film Nyad on Netflix, right? But it's about Diana Nyad, who is a long distance swimmer. And she's known for, I think it was in 1979, swimming over 100 miles from the Bahamas to Florida. So first of all, if you have not seen this film, check it out. It's called Nyad, N-Y-A-D. It's on Netflix. It's super good. It's like one of those super inspirational true stories about somebody beating the odds and making this major accomplishment. It was really, really good film, right? But the lesson that I took from this film was what Diana said at the very end of the film when she came out of the water and she had successfully, after like, I think five tries, made this long distance swim and at that time made history. Ooh, so good, y'all. What she said was one sentence. She said, it looks like a solitary sport, but it takes a team. It looks like a solitary sport, but it takes a team. And so first of all, that's 100% true. There are some sports that we see that looks like it's just the person, right? Swimming, golf, right? There are some sports where it looks like it's all you, right? But she said it takes a team. And her team was very evident throughout the entire film, right? She had a navigator. She, of course, had a coach. She had a whole team of people that was supporting her in achieving this goal. And it made me think about business and entrepreneurship. And the reason this lesson resonated with me so much is because this year I committed to building like an Olympic quality team for my coaching business. And so in the last month, month and a half, I've literally onboarded three people. And I remember thinking as I was doing this, like I remember not just thinking, but feeling how next level 2024 was about to be because I was going to have a team now, right? Like I've had people that I've employed over the years. I've hired like project managers that people that I was just employing on a temporary basis to complete a specific project. I've also had plenty of assistants over the years that I didn't always feel like their work ethic was where I needed it to be. And, you know, to work with me and for me, you have to, you have to operate out of a spirit of excellence. I won't, I won't accept anything less. And I've also had program coaches who work inside of my coaching programs, Farm to Table. And now we just onboarded our first program coach for the plant protocol. So this team thing, I'm just automatically looking at how much more effective and efficient things can run around here with this team. And I'm really, 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 really confident in the people that I'm onboarding as well. Like I'm really confident in them. Like I have now a personal assistant and somebody to manage my speaking career. I have a program coach for the plant protocol. And then I also hire an executive administrator for the program for the plant protocol. So I'm really, really, really excited about everyone. And I'm excited to be leading team meetings and now getting all of my visions and my ideas for the upcoming year, for the upcoming quarter out of my head 
and sharing it with someone and or with you know a team who can give me feedback and that we can operate in tandem and in sync to get it done together. And so when when Diana said that, it really resonated with me. She said, it looks like a solitary sport, but it takes a team. And that's how I feel about entrepreneurship. It looks like a solitary sport, especially, especially if you're building a coaching business where you are the brand. Like for many, many years, Lisa A. Smith has been the brand. People want to work with me. Like when they book a speaker, they're, they're booking me. We love the way you speak. We want you to do that again. Can you come back? So my type of business, right? I'm not in a product-based business where you don't know who's, you know, designing the product, where you don't necessarily know who's making the product. You don't even know. like I am in a coaching business where I have actively worked and continue to work to become a public figure. And so the type of business model that I have has been one in which there's a singular person who is the attraction as opposed to necessarily the, the product or being the attraction. And so it has really, 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 really felt like a solitary sport for a long time. But what I know for certain is that it does take a team to go from where we are to where we want to be. And it is time to make sure that I'm expanding this vision, these dreams, these to-dos across people who are really, really talented. And so I, that lesson just really hit me. And then it really hit because most recently my coach said the same thing. Like, you need a team. Like, it's you, you can't do this where you want to go. You can't do it. I remember in my mastermind, I had started asking one of my colleagues inside of my mastermind about his journey to building a seven-figure business. And so one of his pieces of advice was, you know, you have to make sure your team has embodied the vision, but most importantly, that they actually have their own personal vision that they believe they can achieve under you. And he gave me that advice with the assumption that I had a team. (laughs) I was like, oh, step one, get a team. Step two, give them the vision, (laughs) right? He didn't even know that I was, you know, operating basically a solitary sport. And so I was like, oh, pause before you, you know, tell me how to do that and what that should look like. I got to go get a team. He like, what? Right. And so when, so anyway, it's all been coming full circle for me. And so immediately, because I execute quickly, uh, I started the process to get a team and, and have one within a matter of weeks. And so that lesson really resonated with me. So that's lesson two. It looks like a solitary sport, but it takes a team. Lesson number three out of the four major lessons that resonated with me this year. Oh, y'all, y'all, y'all. So I'm going to start with a story to give some context. It's not my story. It's just a general story that you may have heard before, okay? But there's this guy by the name of Roger Bannister. So if you've never heard of Roger Bannister, he is responsible for being the very first person to break the four-minute mile, okay? Now, what's special about this is that literally people have been trying for decades and Many people were believing that it wasn't humanly possible to run a mile under four minutes. And even doctors had come out saying it was medically impossible for the human body to be able to run a mile in under four minutes. However, this gentleman by the name of Roger Bannister did just that. Now, this ain't even a good part of the story, right? So he's responsible for breaking, finally, the four-minute mile. 
But here is the lesson. Here's just where the lesson came in is what happened next. So Roger Bannister, after decades of runners trying, he finally broke the four minute mile. But 46 days later, a gentleman by the name of John Landy, an Australian runner, he broke it again and beat Roger's time with three minutes and 58 seconds because uh, Bannister's time was like three minutes, 59 seconds, some whatever. So John came back 46 days later and broke Roger's time, okay? Now, here was the lesson in that for me. Now, this, after decades and decades of people trying, two people did it, like nearly back to back. And then what happened Just a year later, three runners broke the four-minute barrier in a single race. And over the last half century, more than a thousand runners have conquered this barrier that was once considered hopelessly out of reach, according to Harvard Business Review. (laughs) Okay. Here's why this is so special. And here's the lesson that I got from this, this history-making moment. The lesson I got from this is this, and it's one that you guys have probably heard me say over and over again, which is the importance of having possibility models. It is so important. It is so important that we have possibility models, individuals for whom we can model their mindset. I've always told you guys, we don't need to model what they do because we might be at different stages but we do need to model what they believe and what they think. Because what we know for sure is breaking that four minute mile was not just a physical victory. It was a mental one as well. Because after so many people trying and failing, right, what did Roger do? But more importantly, what did Roger need to believe to continue to try? And what I love about Roger Bannister's story is that he did it in a very unconventional way, which is... Everyone who was trying to break this record was doing it a traditional way of training. Like they were training in a traditional way. They had coaches, right? How the story goes is that the belief was that the four-minute mile would have to be broken in perfect conditions. And they say those perfect conditions were 68 degrees outside, no wind, and it had to happen on a particular kind of track, which they were saying was hard, dry clay. So the surface had to be a certain way. The weather had to be a certain way. The wind had to be a certain way. And they suggested that it needed to be in front of a huge crowd so that people can run their absolute best, right? But Roger Bannister did it in conditions that were very different. On a cold day, on a wet track, at a small event with just a few thousand of people. So the thing is like, For the experts that have been saying that it had to be 68 degrees, no wind, hard, dry track, hard, dry clay in front of a huge, huge, boisterous crowd. What did Roger need to believe? What story did he have to tell himself to uh, even attempt it on a cold day on a wet track in front of a few thousand people? This is the power of possibility models. We don't need to necessarily model what we do, what they do if we're not at their stage, but we do need to model what they think. And then after Roger did it, just 46 days later, John Landy came behind him and broke the record again. And since then, many thousands of people, like it's not even unheard of to run below a four minute mile now. 
But all of these people have possibility models. And so the lesson here is if you are a place in your life where you're trying to do something that you've never personally seen done before, maybe by somebody who looks like you or by somebody who's in a circumstance that you in, like you you know people start businesses, but maybe you've never seen a, a Black woman in her 60s start a business or, you know what I mean? Like, what do you need to see in order for you to believe that it's possible for you? And where can you go to get that possibility model? But the second part of this lesson is this. How can you become a possibility model, right? We need to have possibility models, but depending on what you want to accomplish in life, it is also important for you to become a possibility model for somebody, right? Somebody needs to see you doing the big thing. And that's why, you know, one of the visions and and desires and dreams that I've shared with my clients over the years is, is, you know, my desire to be on a big stage. And and I kind of use the example of being interviewed by Oprah. I've said that several times, like, I can't wait to be sitting across from Oprah. And she's asking me about these amazing things we've done to extend the healthy life expectancy of people of color. And the amazing things we've done with helping, you know, marginalized communities start their own health coaching business in, in an industry where there's not a lot of coaches that look like us. So we're going to flood this marketplace with culturally relevant, diverse coaches who are promoting a whole food plant-based lifestyle, but aren't just promoting it, but they are masters of the trade. They are experts in their field. And I can't wait to share that with Oprah, right? And why? Why is my vision to be on Oprah's stage? Well, it might not even be the biggest stage, but it's the biggest stage in my mind, right? And it is because I aspire to be a possibility model for someone who thinks that their dream is maybe too big or impossible or they've never seen anybody do it. And so when you see the founder of the first plant-based coaching certification to be founded by a col- of color talk about what she did and all she went through to accomplish the things she's accomplishing, the impact she's been able to have, then you can know that you can too. So that's what Roger Bannister and John Landy and all of the runners who whose story I read about, you know, were able to do. They but it started with Roger. He became the possibility model for John and everybody that came behind him. And so it is so important, guys, that when you are thinking about accomplishing something, whether it be in your health, in your business, in your personal development, that you seek out coaches and communities where People are doing what you want to do and you can sit at the feet of a possibility model so that you don't have to spend years delaying your desires because you're struggling with belief, okay? Save yourself time. And here's the thing about saving time. I should do a whole another podcast episode on this. I'm not saying that the thing you want to do won't take a long time. Maybe the time that a possibility model saves you is not the physical time. Maybe it will still take five years. Maybe it will still take one year, whatever it is. But they save you time when it comes to belief. It probably would have took you 10 years because you struggled three of them with believing, right? So if you hire a possibility model, if you get a coach that serves as a possibility model, the time they save you is not necessarily the time it takes to have a successful you know, multi-six, multi-seven, multi-eight-figure business, maybe it's the time you would have lost with being a non-believer. Possibility models. Okay, let's get to the last lesson. 
The final lesson that I learned this year that really resonated with me, (laughs) I get excited about all my stuff, is lean in now, lean in. It's not done until it's good. It's not done until it's good. So listen, you're going to hear an episode on a podcast and probably in several weeks, maybe a couple months out where I go in on this particular lesson. I talk heavy about it. But let me give you the cliff notes right here, okay? One of the things that we as humans normally give ourselves credit for is just getting it done, okay? And so we have kind of adopted this belief that sometimes done is the goal. And we tell ourselves that and we tell other people that to make them feel good. Like, you know, hey, it ain't gotta be perfect. You gotta get it out there. Just get it done. Just get it done. You know, we'll fix it later. Just get it done. Like done is the goal. Done is the goal. Done is the goal. And that may be cool depending on where you are in your life, right? However, for me, this year, next year, and forever going forward, done is not good enough. For me, it's not done until it's good. You know, we're always told that done is better than perfect but I want to put a remix on that a little bit. Done isn't better than perfect if your done is below average. Guys, we have to stop creating subpar, below average work. My question to myself every time I produce work, whether it's a podcast, whether it's teaching a masterclass, whether it's curriculum for one of my programs, whether it's speaking on somebody's stage, my question is, Lisa, What's this your best? Lisa, is this your best? Before you submit it, before you press publish, before you press share, before you turn on the camera and say, welcome to my monthly plant-based business masterclass, is everything in your slides the best that you could do? Or did you just throw slides together to say it's done, but you know if you had to put more thought into it, You would have told them this. You would have used different analogies. You would have took more time on this lesson. Like, did you premeditate this enough for it to be your best, right? It's not done until it's good. Done isn't better than perfect if your done is below average. I really believe we need to stop settling for producing mediocrity. I really want us to do that. We have to stop creating for the sake of creating and start really thinking about our work and who it's for. You want to give people your best. Don't just like, for so many of us, the win has been just showing up. I was was there. I did what I said I was going to do, right? And that's cool. And I get that we have days or moments where the win may have been just showing up. But you you can't have seasons of your life where the wind was just showing up. Now, wait a minute now. (laughs) Like, I get you tired. I get you're exhausted. That means that's an invitation to reevaluate your personal capacity. But if every time you do something, the wind was just showing up, but it wasn't your best, we got to reevaluate some things, y'all. Okay? So what I want you to start believing is that it's not done until it's good. And this applies to everything for me. Like I'd be in the gym, like that first set, you squat it, but you was just getting it done. No, no, go on, go to parallel on that squat. Go on below parallel on that squat. You didn't feel it. 
and your legs, like you know you feel it when you squat all the way. Like it's not done till it's good. Like your hamstrings didn't activate on that last one. Like don't be up in this gym. Yeah, you you did some cardio at least, but you could have walked a little faster. You could have increased the incline. You could have ran a little harder. Like, is it done or is it good? And what will it take for us to have both? Okay. And I'm going to tell you what happens. The reason we give ourselves credit for just showing up and getting it done is because it, it feeds our ego. Your ego needs partial credit. Your ego needs partial credit. But we are creators. All right. If you are in a space in your life where you've made the decision to go from just being a consumer to being a producer, I need the things that you produce to be good. I need you to strive for your personal best every time. Now, let me be very clear. That doesn't mean I don't stumble over my words sometimes when I speak. That doesn't mean that I don't lose my train of thought sometimes when I get excited and go off on tangents. That doesn't. But my best work doesn't mean my perfect work. Right. My best work doesn't necessarily mean it's perfect, but it does mean I walk away feeling like I gave everything I had to give, that the impact that I wanted to make, that there's a higher probability that that impact will be made because I premeditated on this, right? This was a premeditated assignment. I'm not just showing up talking about I'm here. I turned the camera on. I went live. Like, that's the best I could do. I didn't, no, things are premeditated. I thought about this. I prayed about this. I asked for the divine downloads to give the people what they needed to hear in this particular moment. I said, God, if this is going to be the only voice that could potentially save their life, save their business, save their health this week or this year, please give me the words to say something that gives them the courage to keep going. Like, is this my best? I want you guys to start normalizing producing your best every single time, working out of a spirit of excellence every single time. Don't make excellence seasonal. Make excellence the floor. Make that the bare minimum that you give, right? And then you'll get in the ecosystems and you'll get coaches that even begins to challenge your definition of your best. But wherever you are, it's not done until it's good, y'all. Don't all this subpar stuff, in the plant protocol, my coaches, I be calling them on it. Like they'll submit their curriculum for their program for me. And I'm like, well, where's this? What's this? What you plan on teaching right here? Uh-uh, uh-uh. Don't just throw no curriculum together and hand it in to me. I know this ain't your best. I could tell you ain't think about this long and hard enough. I can tell. Stop getting it done to get it done and start doing your best. Take a little longer if you need to, to do your best. Don't take a little longer just because you're procrastinating, but work a little harder on it right? And prioritize doing your best. So those are my four major lessons that resonated with me this year. Listen, I want to do something very special for you guys, just podcast listeners only, just because, hey, this is our one year anniversary. I am super honored that you guys put us above average in podcast performance. Thank you. And we have 100% five-star reviews. And so I couldn't be more happy and more proud about that. And so I want to do something special, uh, make a special offer to you guys before I hop off. And I ain't selling nothing, okay? This is just a special offer from me to you saying thank you. But I want to give you some context before I tell you what it is. So I did a interview recently 
of Dr. Janelle Gordon on Instagram. And her and I had such, such good chemistry and a really good conversation. And the the conversation turned into one about obedience and faith. And it was just a really, really good conversation. And I'll make sure actually we link it in the show notes if it's something you want to listen to. Uh, We were supposed to be talking about, of course, you know, the power of a plant-based lifestyle and building a health coaching business and all of that. But it went way off onto the side rails and it turned into just like this really good conversation about living a life of radical obedience and having the faith to do so. And afterward, somebody messaged me privately and asked me a question. And her question was, how did you find the courage to make such a drastic pivot and transition in your life and in your career? And so when she asked me this question, of course, I went crazy answering her back. (laughs) And it was really fun, but it got me to thinking about you guys. And it got me to thinking about people who have questions that are standing in the gap between where they are and where they want to be. And so my special offer to you guys as an anniversary gift is I want to offer tea time with you guys where you can book a call with me one-on-one where we just talk. I'm going to bring a cup of tea because that's my favorite and decaffeinated (laughs) mint tea or some other decaffeinated flavor. And I just want to hear the question that's sitting in the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Again, her question was, how did you find the courage to make such a drastic pivot and transition? And so I'm extremely curious to hear for you guys who are maybe not living the life of your desire or not on track to live the life of your desire. I want to know what is standing in the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Is there a belief? Is there a limiting belief? Is there a question that you don't have the answer to? Is there a resource that you think you need? I'm super curious. I don't have an offer. I'm not trying to sell y'all into anything. I just want to have conversations with my podcast listeners about why you're still consuming more than you're producing in the world when you know you were called to be a producer. And so that is my question, okay? So come with that answer. So think about it. Come on, premeditation. Think about what your answer is. Think about what is holding you back. Think about the belief or the story that you're telling yourself that's keeping you from making progress. And then click the link in the show notes to book some time on my calendar and let's have a tea date. Bring you a cup of tea or whatever you drink. Don't come in with all that sugar and mess because you ain't going to be able to think clearly when I'm, when I'm talking to you, okay? So y'all know how I feel about this health thing. So come in, clear mine, carve out some space. And let's just take, you know, about, it's, it's a 20-minute tea date, virtual tea date. And I'm just curious to hear what's keeping you from where you want to be. And maybe I can offer some insight around that and tell you what I've been able to do to overcome it as well. So that's my offer, my anniversary gift to you guys. Again, thank you so much for continuing to support myself, whether it's through Farm to Table, The Plant Protocol, or Clarity, my mastermind. Thank you for continuing to listening to the podcast. Those of you who have shared it with people, those of you guys who have messaged me privately, those of you guys who have revisited some of the episodes to listen again and again and to take notes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, I'm wishing you guys an amazing, amazing 2024. And I look forward to coming back on to having another anniversary episode next December. Until next time, y'all. Take care. You tuned in today because like me, you're a disruptor. You're passionate about health and you have firsthand experience of taking a whole food plant-based approach to combating chronic health challenges. 
You want to see lifestyle and dietary modifications become the norm in the way in which we practice healthcare. However, you need mastery around nutrition and lifestyle science, a better understanding of behavior change to improve client compliance, and confidence in your ability to effectively coach clients to adopting those lifestyle modifications. You need the plant protocol. Visit theplantprotocol.com to apply and let's work together to improve the way in which we care for our most prized possession, our health. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed what you heard, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. Until next time, remember, radical obedience is still undefeated. Stay obedient.